Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This is from Jonah 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. line of that chapter. It's perfect. Um, okay, hold on, guys. i got to get all my things situated here. I've got water. I managed to spill coffee on my notes just now, so they'll all stick together. It's going to be a great time we're going to have together today. My name is Fabs. If I don't know you, I work here at The Vine. Fabs is short for Fabienne, which is kind of hard to say, so people call me Fabs. Um, we have been going through Book of Jonah. If you're new here, you may not know that, but we're in chapter two, so last week we did chapter one. Mark kicked us off, and he shared that when it comes to the book of Jonah, people have a lot of different perspectives. Like some people think of it as a parable or an allegory. Some people think of it as a historical account. But regardless of all that, what we know when we read the book of Jonah, what's clear is that it's a narrative, right? It's a narrative. It's told in the form of a story. It's told like a story. And that's different than like a New Testament epistle, like when Paul is writing to the churches, if he was trying to convey the same message, he might say like, you should have mercy on people. Like you just say it like that. But our writer of the book of Jonah has decided the most effective way to convey their message is to tell it in the form of a story, which means if we're going to experience it, if it's going to have its way with us, then we need to climb into that story. We need to feel all the twists and turns that go with it. So that's what we're going to try to do today is climb a little bit inside the story. Mark did that with us last week. Last week we climbed inside this idea, this feeling, this sensation that we've all experienced where you, God asks you to do something and you don't want to do it. Last week, Mark shared, he said, the way he said it, I loved so much. He said that Jonah hates that God might show mercy to his enemies. Jonah hates that. And so he runs from God. He flees from God. And he runs so far and so deep and so as far as he can go that he ends up on this ship in the middle of the sea. And there's this huge storm. And the sailors don't know what's going on. And Jonah has the suggestion that maybe they throw him overboard. That might help the situation. So they do. They throw him over the edge of the ship. We hear that. Then we get to see the sailors' response. They're like, what happened? Because the sea goes quiet immediately. They're like, who is this God? And then we get to hear the very last line of chapter one is, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. So for us in the end of chapter one, this is what we hear, the sequence of events. Jonah gets thrown overboard. The the sailors have their reaction and then a fish swallows Jonah. But there's some things that happened in between those events. And chapter two is where we're going to get to hear about them. Chapter two is like this slow down in the book of Jonah. So first chapter's filled with action. 
chapter three and four, lots of action. Chapter two, nothing happens except for the very last line when the fish vomits. That's the only thing, the only action that takes place in chapter two. The whole thing is just slowing down, a rewind. We zoom in on this character. It's kind of like if you're watching a movie and you see the sequence events play out and then you get to see the same sequence but from a, one of the character's point of view, like what happens to them in between that you didn't get to see. That's chapter two. It's Jonah being like, come here, let me tell you firsthand account what happened in between the moment I fell off the ship or was thrown off the ship and was swallowed by the fish. A lot happened in that gap. You didn't see it, but let me tell you about it. And he sings this song, he sings this psalm or poem, whatever, however you want to think of it, this prayer, where he shares that he encountered in that water the mercy of God, the mercy of God. And he really emphasizes all these different things about the mercy of God. And it's not like an exposition on the doctrine of mercy, right? He's not trying to lecture us about what mercy is as a story. And he's singing a song of worship, and we're getting to see what mercy feels like for Jonah, what he experienced in that water. He's going to give us kind of the five W's of mercy, right? The who, what, when, where, why of mercy. And so that's what we're going to talk through today. Let's start with the who, the who of mercy. This is such a big question in the book of Jonah. The question is, like, who is mercy for? Like, who gets to have it? Who is the appropriate recipient of mercy? That's a question throughout the book. Is it for the people of God, or is it for the people who have hurt the people of God? Is it for those who walk in the ways of the Lord, or is it for those who haven't walked in the ways of the Lord? Who is the mercy of God for? And this chapter is going to show us two things. It's going to show us that the mercy of God is for those who have not earned it, and it's going to show us that if anyone knows that, if anyone's experienced that, it's Jonah. He knows that firsthand. So, Let's take a look first where Jonah is at the end of chapter one, right? He's been thrown into the water, and the writer tells us that God provided for Jonah. He provided. I love that word, provided. But the truth is, when Jonah goes into that water, he doesn't just need provision, okay? He needs mercy. He doesn't just need provision, he needs mercy. Provision is like if I see someone in need and I assist them, I help them, I send a fish to swallow them. That's provision, that's assistance, right? Mercy is, is if someone is earned the opposite of that, and I still give it. Mercy if someone doesn't deserve that provision and I give it to them, right? Mercy, here's the definition for you guys. It's showing compassion, displaying compassion, forgiveness or kindness to someone who you have the right or the power to punish, okay? So the defining factor around mercy, one of the biggest differences between provision and mercy is not the display of compassion, the display of provision, it's who you display that for, right? Mercy is, is, is showing that compassion, that kindness, for those that you have the power or would be justified to punish. Okay, so mercy is, I have some slides. I tried to diagram this, probably made the whole thing more complicated. But mercy is, go to the next slide. Mercy, in general, if you have a person, think of a person, and you would be, it would be appropriate, everyone around you would think it's appropriate for you to give them punishment and withhold provision. Think of a person like that. It would be totally appropriate. And then mercy is if you switch that, right? And you withhold the punishment and you give provision. It's this total reversal of how the world works. And, and what struck me this week as I was thinking about it is that mercy is really only mercy when it's given to those who haven't earned mercy, right? That's kind of the defining characteristic about that. And Jonah is experiencing that firsthand. He's reflecting on chapter two in the way that God met him in kindness and provision when he was expecting punishment. He was bracing for punishment. I think everybody in the story is sort of bracing for punishment, right? The sailors, when, when they're agreeing to throw Jonah overboard, they're like, we're going to kill this guy. He's going to die. What are we supposed to do? But this God, obviously the ocean is going crazy. This God must be really angry. 
kind of a way of understanding gods back in the day is they get really angry and you can sacrifice, you can offer the person who's disobeyed them to them and then they will be appeased. The sea will steady, right? So that's kind of their mentality. Let's throw this guy overboard. We're bracing for his punishment. But what are we going to do? We tried all the other options. We're all going to die if we don't do this. And, and it sounds to me when I read the story like Jonah is also bracing for punishment. Like he's standing on the deck of the ship with these guys. They're like, what are, what, you tell us what you think should happen. It's Jonah's idea. He's like, throw me overboard. Maybe that will save us all. I don't know. I'll take the punishment. I'll face what's coming to me. Right? He's bracing for this punishment that he expects. And I think when we read the book of Jonah, sometimes we're doing the same thing, right? We read chapter one and it's so easy to think that the storm that's happening is happening as a punishment to try to punish Jonah, right? And then it's so easy to think, like if you just flip through chapter two, skip that chapter a little bit, fish eats him, fish vomits him, then really the idea you have is that maybe also that's a punishment. Sounds like a punishment to me, right? He's sitting in the belly of a fish for three days. It doesn't sound great. Sounds pretty tough, right? It would be easy to see these things as God kind of punishing Jonah, letting him sit in that whale and just think about what he's done, right? Think about what he's done until he can have a change of heart. But that's not what we see here, right? He's sinking in this water. Jonah is thinking this is his punishment. He says that in uh, chapter two, he says, I, have, I said I have been banished from your sight. I have been banished from your sight. Jonah is telling us what it felt like when he hit the water, what he was thinking was happening. What it felt like to him was he was banished. And banished is when you send someone away from a place or a country as an official punishment. So Jonah tells us that when he hit that water, what he was thinking is, I'm getting what's coming to me. This is my official punishment. But that's not what happened, right? Chapter 1 even gives us the clue that that's not what's waiting for Jonah in that water. Because God provided a fish, right? And chapter 2 confirms that for us as Jonah tells us that what met him in that water was not punishment. It was mercy, What's waiting in that water for him was provision instead of punishment, that flip, and that is what mercy is, right? Jonah and the sailors, they had this understanding that God works like everybody else that we ever encounter in the universe with a system of earning and rewards and punishment. You earn something, you get good. You do something bad, you get bad. That's kind of how we think the world works. So many of us have internalized that same narrative about God, right? Maybe we know better, maybe we know we're not supposed to think that way about God, but we do, and it can show up in different ways. It can show up in us kind of bracing for that punishment, thinking the shoe's about to drop or you're not going to get that provision that you wanted for so long because you didn't really read your Bible enough. It shows up for me thinking, well, maybe God's not going to show up and help me through this sermon because I didn't pray enough this week, right? I didn't earn that provision of his spirit, so maybe he won't be here with me. I'm bracing for that punishment, that withholding of provision, some of you, it may show up and looking expectantly for God's, like, blessing and favor and provision because you know you did well. You, did, you had a good week, so God should provide. Maybe you relate to that sensation, or maybe it shows up more in that sensation of uh, confusion or frustration when he doesn't provide, and you're like, but I did everything I was supposed to do. And now you see him providing for someone else, and you're like, but I did better than them. These are the little clues that we are operating in a system of earning, but the, the thing about God is he operates in a totally different system. And mercy, mercy is like this upside down element of the kingdom of God. It's like an interruption of the system of rewards and punishment. It's an interruption to the system where you earn, and it's a whole different economy. And the tricky thing about mercy is when you receive it, when Jonah receives it in this moment, to me, it's almost like receiving it is accepting this invitation into this new way of doing things. It's like, I agree. I'll go with it. I'll do the mercy route. 
But what we do and what we're going to see Jonah do throughout the book is we want a system of mercy that's sort of like convenient, where we can opt into the mercy system when that benefits us, and we can opt back into the earning rewards and punishment system when that benefits us, right? I want mercy when I have wronged someone. But when I've been wronged, let's do the rewards punishment system, right? We think we can flip back and forth, but that's not how it works. Mercy is the way of God. And by accepting it, by receiving it, we are almost opting into this system, and we, we kind of have to pick a lane to run in, right? That's kind of how it works with God. His kingdom is the way of mercy. It's upside down. That's the economy there. And Jonah has benefited from that economy. That's an important thing that we need to remember as we move forward in the book next week. So that's the who for people who don't deserve it, for Jonah specifically in the moment when he doesn't deserve it. That's who mercy is for. What, what do we learn about the mercy of God? What does it look like? right? What does it look like? That's part of what we're going to get to see in this weird chapter two in the middle of this action sequence. What it looks like is uh, a man in the belly of a whale, right? Or a big fish. We made up the whale part. We interpreted that, but big fish, I don't know, sounds like a whale to me. Um, So what does it look like? It looks strange and unexpected, right? It's so funny to me, and I don't think I really like sat on this until this round of reading Jonah, that Jonah is in a fish and he's offering a prayer. And to me, if I was in that fish offering a prayer, my prayer would be one of like, please help me, rescue me, save me from this situation. But that's not how Jonah's praying. He's praying, thank you. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for your mercy. This isn't his dark moment of the soul. This is after it. This is the relief. This is the provision. He's offering a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's so weird to me. Because I told you last time I taught, I talked a little bit about my TikTok algorithm, so I promise I won't try to talk about my TikTok algorithm every time I teach. But my TikTok algorithm, even before we were in Jonah, so it wasn't like listening to me, provided me with a TikTok on what happens to someone when they get swallowed by a whale. And it's horrific, like truly horrific. I watched the whole thing, so now my algorithm thinks I'm into that kind of content, which obviously I am, I just don't want to be, but... I'm watching this video that has all these different stomachs, all these terrible things happen. Obviously, Jonah doesn't know all that, right? He doesn't have the science behind that. But to me, if I'm swallowed by an animal, it's not going to feel like a great moment in my life. Like, that's not a high point. But the book is trying to tell us, the writer is trying to tell us, the end of chapter one, they give us a clue. This, This fish is provision. It's God's way. And Jonah knows that. He's not confused about that. It's not like one of those kind of gaslighty moments where it's like, this is God's provision, but inside you're like, I'm actually being eaten and destroyed and crushed by three different stomachs. But no, it's provision. No, Jonah feels that. He feels that this is the provision of God. This is the rescue. And what we see is that God's mercy sometimes looks strange and unexpected. And maybe from the outside, for someone looking in, I'm looking at this and I would say it would be better to have died, right? But it's God's mercy. It's just strange and unexpected. And if that's true, how are we going to recognize it? We can recognize it by what it is, what it does. What does the mercy of God accomplish in us, right? So God's mercy is God bringing us back to his love. Let's listen to what Jonah says toward the end of his prayer. Okay, he says, I love this verse. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Whatever happened between God and Jonah in the moment when he went in the water to the moment he's inside of this great big fish, he has now a very different perspective 
on what's going on than he did in chapter 1. In chapter 1, when we read the story, it sounds like Jonah is running away from something truly that he thinks is terrible, unpleasant, bad. He doesn't want any part of it. He's not interested in it. Fast forward in chapter 2, he's saying, oh, when I ran away, I was turning away from God's love. I was running away from a good thing. He has a whole new perspective that the thing he was running from wasn't oppressive. It wasn't burdensome. It wasn't trying to control him. It was the love of God, and he feels that now. He sees things differently, right? And he's thankful, right? Because God's mercy has restored him, and it's restored him to what? He's turned back to what? God's love. Not just God's love for him that he's going to get to experience and feel and climb inside, but also God's love for other people. He's coming back to fulfill this, this command that God's given him to go and preach to these people, right? He's coming back to this path, this way of love. And it's the same for us. God shows us mercy. We can recognize it even when it's strange and unexpected because it turns us back, not just to God, not just to someone who wants to like have people who worship him and he's interested in keeping us really close so he can control us, right? It's turning us back to God's love. That's what God wants for us. That's what God is trying to give us. He's trying to pour out his love on us and the world through us, right? That's what he's calling us back to. And last little thing here about the what, I want to highlight what it feels like for Jonah. I think this is so beautiful to me. It feels good for Jonah. It fills him with joy, right? Whatever this mercy is, as weird and unexpected as it looks to us from the outside, it fills Jonah with joy. He's not like, okay, because you saved me, I'll go back. I guess I'll do the thing you asked me to do. Fine. It's not like he made a bargain with God in the depths and the darkness that he was like, if you rescue me from this, I guess I'll do what you've commanded. And he's not like, okay, you're the one in control. You've shown me that you've got all the power here, so I'll come back and do the thing you've asked of me. It says with shouts of grateful praise, I'm excited to fulfill the vow I made to you. I'm excited to walk with you in this, right? He wants to obey God. He's not just reluctantly agreeing to go back to God because God is willing to save him. And mercy feels good. It fills us with joy when we recognize it, when we know that we're experiencing it. Even when the reality is, right, he's still in the belly of a fish, right? It's the same in our own lives. Like God's mercy might seem unexpected. It might in moments feel and look from the outside scary, counter to what we think is good. But we will know it's God's mercy because it will feel, we'll know it's good. We will have that sensation and and we will experience God's love and we will get to participate in carrying that love to others. So, That's the who, that's the what, let's do the when and where, and I'm going to be sneaky because I'm going to do them together so that I can flip them. I couldn't bring myself to actually get them out of order, so I did it in a sneaky way. So let's start with the where. Where is is Jonah when this mercy finds him? Where is he when, when this mercy collects him? As he's thrown overboard, where does God's mercy meet him? Sometimes when we tell the story, we tell it like chapter one, right? Jonah gets thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a fish. That's how we tell the story. I actually found this piece of art that kind of captures that sensation. Wouldn't it be nice if this is what happened, but it's not, right? Jonah didn't get thrown overboard and get swallowed by a fish. He lived a lot in between that. A lot happened in between the moment when he fell overboard or was thrown overboard and the moment when he was collected, where he felt the provision of God, right? He tells us that. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. The fish didn't meet Jonah at the surface. 
It didn't collect him and gobble him up before he had the sensation of drowning and darkness and depths and despair. There's something terrible and terrifying in between, and it's the same for us. Don't you feel like sometimes when you're going through something, someone, people want the mercy of God to read like the end of Jonah 1 where they're like, oh, it's okay, God's mercy right there, going to provide for you, right? Something bad could happen, you're in a bad situation, don't worry, the provision of God will be right there to collect you. That's not how it works. That's not how it feels, for me at least. It feels like there's a darkness and there's a depth in between, and that's what happened to Jonah, right? He experienced the surface. We hear that. The breakers broke over him. The waves swept over him. My dad used to have a book when we were kids. I don't even remember what book it was. I tried to look for it. But it had a picture on the front of this storm, incredible storm in the middle of the ocean. That picture haunted me. I can still see it in my head, the thought of being in the middle of that, right? And then he sinks, and seaweed is wrapped around his head, that sensation of not being able to breathe. And you can imagine as he tears it off, then you're faced with the reality, you still can't breathe. You still can't breathe. You're underwater and the deep surrounded him, the darkness and the nothingness of the deep. To the roots of the mountains is how he says it. And in the message translation, it says, I was as far down as a body can go and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. You can imagine that sensation, the pressure of the water as you get deeper, increasing. There's no way to fight it, no way to resist to get back up. I don't know if you guys remember a few months ago when the Titan sub submersible went missing. If you don't know about this, some people were on a mini sub trying to go down to view the Titanic, and their submersible got lost. And for a while, people thought that maybe what had happened was their submersible was trapped on the bottom, like in the wreckage of the Titanic, and they were just out of electricity but alive and sitting there in the bottom of the ocean in pitch black with no heat, no electricity, and no way to communicate, just hoping someone would rescue them. This was like so upsetting for me that I literally talked about it in therapy. (laughs) I like couldn't handle that concept. There's something so deeply terrifying. I think the, the whole world was like obsessed with this story because that's our worst nightmare. It's horrific. It's terrifying. That's what Jonah's experiencing here. He's in the bottom. He's sinking. He's dying. He's drowning. He's going deeper and deeper. And, and where does he feel like he is in relation to God? What does it feel like for him? We, we said a moment ago that he says in chapter 2 that he felt like he'd been banished. The way that it says it in the message version is, I said, I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. He's been banished out of God's realm. If there's a where Where God is, Jonah feels, his perception is that he's been banished, that he's outside of that. If there's a vision that God has of where his people are, what he sees, Jonah feels that he has been moved out of that option, that that God can't see him where he is. That's what he feels. And what's so ironic about this, like can you guys remember what we talked about last week? Jonah is at the deepest, furthest place he can get from God. And this is deeply ironic. Because in chapter 1, the way that our writer writes chapter 1 is they keep using these repetitive words. Jonah flees from God. Jonah flees down to tarnish. They use that word over and over again to, to emphasize how much Jonah wants to get out of the sight of God. And the writer uses the same word to convey this going deeper theme that Mark talked about last week that he constantly in chapter one is going deeper. He's going down, he's going deeper. He goes in the belly, the belly of the ship. He's trying to get as far down out of the sight of God as he can. And that's where he ended up. He succeeded. Chapter one, chapter two tells us that in chapter one, Jonah had the sensation that he had succeeded in his mission to get out of the sight of God. And it is not the good news that he thought it might be. It's this terrifying feeling for him. And the good news is actually that he's wrong, that he's not out of God's realm, that he's not out of God's sight, right? That the mercy can find Jonah. 
And that's where mercy finds us, in the deepest pit, the furthest place we can go from God. The mercy of God is waiting to meet us there, right? And when does it find him? It says, in my distress, this is the very beginning of his prayer, in my distress I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and he listened to my cry. I love that tense shift, right? That he's talking in that very first little part there. He's telling someone, anyone who's listening, the fish, that he called to the Lord and the Lord answered him. And it's like almost by verse two, he can't handle that, that third person reference to God and he shifts. I called for help and you listened. You were there. Jonah called to the Lord, right? That's the first thing that happened in these verses. He cried for help and the Lord listened and answered. It's so easy to like move past that, but to me that's like such a deeply profound reality. Like often when I'm praying, I've shared this with you guys before, but it's more like wishing or like mantra or like self-talk. Like there's not really a sense that, that God is listening. And when I remember that, when I think about that for a second, that even now as we sit in this room, the thoughts that you have, the feelings you have that God is leaning in, that he's listening, that he wants to answer your prayers. He hears, he answers. When does God's mercy find you? Whenever you ask for it, whenever you need it, whenever you cry out for it, not after you've changed your ways, not after you've shown that you've changed, not after you've learned your lesson, didn't need Jonah to sit for a little while in the fig fish until he learned his lesson, not after you've planned a great speech, not after you've prayed a really good repentant prayer. That's not what we see from Jonah here. We just see a cry, right? Jonah's beautiful prayer that we get to read in chapter 2, it comes after the mercy. Jonah's change of heart, his desire to go back, his desire to obey with shouts of grateful praise, that comes after the mercy. That's not the reason God gives mercy. God gives mercy and it produces that right within us. God's mercy is ready to rescue us anytime we ask for it. And I was thinking about that this week. There's something in that that I that sits weird with me as well because it sounds kind of like, or how I've maybe heard it before or interpret it, is almost like God's like a parent. He's like, if you ask properly, like say please, and then I'll help you, you know? It just sounds a little weird, but that's not the picture of God's mercy that we have in the book of Jonah. It's not the picture of God's mercy anywhere in the Bible. Right? The picture we have of God's mercy, it's like the story of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with that story, You have this son who kind of runs away just like Jonah ran away. He's done with it. He's not interested in doing what his father wants or or living, respecting his father. So he runs away. He has like a pretty good time for a little while, and then he runs out of resources. He runs out of provision. He has no idea what to do, and he has this moment where he's like in the depths, right? He's in the pit. He doesn't know what to do, and he has no other options, so he decides to come home. And I love that. He doesn't come home because he's like, you know who I miss? I miss my father. I miss his love. I want to walk with him and enjoy him more. He comes home because he's run out of options. That's Jonah, do you, do you ever wonder why it's to the very bottom of the ocean, right? He waits to the very bottom, right? From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. It's like, why did you wait till then, <laughs> right? Because he's not turning back to God because he's like, you know who I miss? God, right? He's in need, He's in desperate need and he's run out of options. There's no other hope left. He's not even sure God hears him or sees him. He feels like he's out of the sight of God, but let's give it one last shot because otherwise I'm gonna die, right? That's the prodigal son as well. He comes home, he starts to come home and you can just imagine him on his way home. He's kind of like planning his speech. He does have a plan. He's gonna like apologize to his father and then he's also gonna say, hey, here's how we could move, 
work things moving forward. I could work to kind of re-earn my status. Not Never going to be a son again, get it, but maybe I could become a servant, that kind of thing. And, and the text tells us in Luke, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And he's going to throw a big party for him. He's going to provide. God's mercy interrupts your speech, your plan for repentance, how you can make things right. It doesn't care about any of that. It cares about seeing you coming home and running out to meet you, throwing its arms around you. That's God's mercy. It's ready and waiting. It's not ready for you once you've fixed yourself up or made a plan or learned your lesson. It's ready for you whenever you will turn and call for it, whenever you'll ask for it. And last one here is why. Why do we get the mercy of God? We've done who, what, where, when, right? Who is God's mercy for? It's for those who haven't earned it. God's mercy is what? Him restoring you back to his love. It's strange and unexpected, and it feels uh, like Thanksgiving fills you with joy. God's mercy is when? Ready to meet you anytime, and where it can find you anywhere. There's, there's nowhere, nowhere too dark, nowhere too deep, nowhere you've run too far. Anywhere you are, it can find you. And why does God's mercy come? Why does it come and find Jonah? Why does it collect him out of that water? I think he tells us in the very last sentence of his prayer. Jonah's very last sentence of this prayer is, salvation comes from the Lord. This is his last declaration, the last meaning summary that he's found in that water. What he found was that salvation comes from the Lord, that salvation is sourced in mercy a provision, saving, rescuing, all those things they are sourced in and they overflow from God. They aren't sourced outside. They don't need some external event to trigger them into action, into motion. They don't see, need someone to light the fuse so that they can overflow. They are who God is and they come out of him in any place, any room God's in, they will be, right? They are who God is. They, the I am of God is made up of mercy and compassion and kindness and he cannot not be these things. It's who he is, Right, that's why mercy finds Jonah, because God is merciful, because he just is that way, right? And that's wonderful news for Jonah in this moment, in chapter two, he's feeling that. He's feeling how beautiful that is. But in just a few turns of the page, Jonah will feel very differently. He's gonna feel really concerned about the who, what, when, where, why of God's mercy. Not because it changes, not because it's different, but because it's applying to someone else, someone other than him that he doesn't want it to apply from, right? And, and chapter two is kind of setting us up to feel the strangeness of what's gonna come next because it's reminding us, Jonah, if anyone should know how the mercy of God works, it's Jonah. He didn't just learn about it. He didn't just read about it. Chapter two shows us he felt it. He experienced it. It came and it met him with every drop, Right? And for us, this story is trying to kind of challenge us in that same way too. Like Jonah, we might have places where we want to control the who, what, when, where, why of God's mercy. We might have places we don't want it to go. Um, we can forget how it showed up in our own lives. And chapter two is this encouragement, it's this invitation to go back and sit in what the mercy of God has felt like, to you, like Jonah in the whale to take a moment and remember and reflect and let the sensation of mercy wash over you. Um, I think... For this to work for us, we have to be able to find ourselves in the story, which is challenging because everybody, I think, is in probably a different place in this story. Like some of you might be still in that place where you're standing on the deck of the ship like Jonah and you're bracing for punishment. You might even have that resignation that he seems to have that's like, fine, let's just do it. Let's just let the shoe drop, right? And some of you might be falling down into the darkness of the water 
and this sermon is fine and good, but there is no provision that you can see. You're going deeper and deeper, and it's dark, and it feels like you have been forgotten. It feels like you are not seen. It feels like God does not care, right? Some of you might be in the moment, like the moment we see in Jonah 2, right? A moment when the mercy of God, it just seems so profound and so real and so tangible that you cannot help but worship God. Those are my favorite moments. Obviously, they're much better than the moment before, right? In those moments, just after the rescue, you're like so overwhelmed by the mercy of God. And I think we think we'll stay in that moment forever. But chapter two ends with this one last little action, right? Jonah doesn't stay in that place of worship inside that fish. God spoke to the fish and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore, which is, again, such an amazing description. Um, We too might have moments like that where we're back on dry land. Jonah is back on dry land now. He's back in the land of the living with people who walk around and don't obey God and hurt one another, right? We've all had those moments when we're back on dry land. We were in the moment of worship. We were feeling that thanksgiving, and now maybe we're back in the path to obedience, right? We're no longer in distress. Now that we're back in the real world where people are people and they are hurting one another and all around us they are doing unspeakable things, in that place on dry land, mercy doesn't just seem kind of irrelevant. It actually seems a little offensive, actually seems a little dangerous, right? I know that's how I feel. I have been shown mercy in my life, like, dramatically, profoundly, like, Hallmark special style, like, really, truly. I've had that kind of mercy that has met me in, like, the deepest pits of distress and helplessness, and it's been so sacred and so unexpected and so profound and so strange uh, that I can't really explain it in a sermon. It's, like, the kind of mercy that belongs in a poem or a song or a prayer, It's not the kind of mercy that can be explained. Um, And I I know that I've had in in those moments, I remember praying in one of my prayers, like, oh, I just longed for the opportunity to give mercy in the way that I was getting it. So I, I remember praying, like, even if it means someone wrongs me in the same way, like, let me be able to be a part of this miracle of forgiveness. It's so beautiful. It's so glorious in that moment, right? But time goes by, and now I'm here. I'm on dry land. And I feel surrounded by love and provision. I don't feel in despair and I don't feel in distress. I'm not desperate in any way. I'm feeling pretty good, right? And if I'm honest, from dry land, that part of me, that girl inside of me who longed to show mercy, like, looks like she's still there. I can still, like, tap into her. I I could easily think that she's still there, right? Because I have this, like, desperate longing to to show compassion and kindness to the people I love in my life. I, I cannot wait to show up. Um, with people in here who've been hurt and wounded in some way and and provide whatever I can to help them heal. I love that. And and at a glance, if I didn't look any closer, that might look like mercy. But I know it's not because it's surrounded by this little fence and it only goes to a certain kind of person who's been through a certain kind of thing. And over here, these people don't get that version of me. (laughs) They're not going to have her. I, I refuse to give that girl to these people. And that's how I know it's not mercy. It might be kindness, it might be compassion, it might be love, it might be all these things, but it's not mercy because the who has a limit. It has people who've done things that makes them, in my mind, not deserve it. And of course, I don't want them to have punishment, or at least I know better than to say that while I'm preaching a sermon. But I want God to teach them a little bit of a lesson. Like, let's just, you know, help them see the error of their ways. And then I'm happy for him to give them mercy after, after they've 
come to their senses and apologized in the way that I think is fitting to the world and to me. After they paid a little bit, then I'm happy for mercy to meet them. And again, that's not mercy, right? Mercy comes to people who have not earned it and don't deserve it. It doesn't matter how far they seem to be outside the realm of God and how much they're not walking in the way of God. Those are the people that mercy is for, right? That's what was so confusing and frustrating for Jonah, but chapter two shows us that he gets this. On a personal level, he's experienced it. He's benefited from this characteristic of God that's gonna frustrate him so much in the next chapter. And when I see that, like, part of me, you know, the, the girl that I want to say is, like, loving, kind, and merciful, and then I see the limits that she has, I, I, have, I have grace for that. I understand that. I, I understand Jonah. I understand how he feels, right? I think God does, too. That's why God meets that version of Jonah, that person who feels that way. He meets them with mercy. And same for me. That part of me that feels that way, God is meeting her with mercy, and he is going to bring her back to love and such deep love that, again, she will want that love to spill out to anyone, especially those who feel like they are too far gone, right? That part of me is in there. And the invitation of this story is to sit in that feeling, right, long enough to remember and reflect what God's mercy felt like, long enough that it spills out into the world around you. And that's, I think, the kindest thing about this book is it's like instead of God trying to shame you into showing mercy to your aunt, to your I almost said animals, to your enemies. <laughs> Instead of God trying to shame you into showing mercy to your enemies, God is trying to invite you into that by reminding you what mercy feels like, by pouring mercy on you. That's one of the ways he's trying to help Jonah give mercy is by giving mercy to Jonah, right? It's such a sweet invitation. So that's what we're gonna do with our time here now. You guys can, if you want to, just shut your eyes. We do this sometimes at the end of the service where we'll just give you a moment to reflect. And I'll kind of guide you through that reflection. You guys can come up whenever. But if you guys will just shut your eyes, take a deep breath, know where you have to be at least for the next 15 seconds, minute. I just want you to notice where you feel like you are in this story. Bracing for punishment, in the water, in the moment where mercy feels so real and tangible. I know for me there's a time I would have taught the sermon and I would have wept the whole way through because God's mercy felt so fresh and so real and so new and so overwhelming. And that's the invitation this morning is to access your memories. Your brain does this crazy thing where it holds all the emotion inside that memory all the time with it. They never get separated. So that feeling is there for you you can remember a moment where you felt in the deepest of distress and you felt the most helpless and you're bracing for punishment and the mercy of God found you with provision and tenderness and kindness and love when, when that father ran out to meet you before you could even get the speech out. Just think about a moment where you felt that. what it felt like, what it looked like. The truth is, you're 
probably, if you're like me, not going to be able to access the degree of profoundness and emotion that goes with that memory when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of strangers and you know you have to get up in five minutes. That's not how our bodies and brains work. But you could right now in your heart ask God to help you have time this week to sit in your memories of his mercy. And you could this week ask God to help you with the part of you that feels like me that is running, made peace with hatred for their enemies. You could ask God to have mercy on that part of you, to rescue that part of you, to bring that part of you back to the love of God. in our last few minutes now just have an honest conversation with God if you want to do that this week or not he's listening he wants to answer you God you are real (laughs) it's kind of the most profound thing that I forget so easily. And you listen to me, you listen to my heart, you listen to the words I want to say and the words that I don't. And you understand, you understand why Jonah's heart was hard. And you understand why my heart is hard. Seeing the pain of your people. And that's why you're so tender with Jonah and so tender with us while you're so willing to give us the space and room to run and hide and the space and room to think and reflect. You don't rush us. You're patient, you're kind, you're gracious. And you, oh God, are merciful. And I just pray for our church that we would be a people who feel your mercy so deeply that it spills out to anybody who walks in these doors even the people who've done the things that we think are so far from your way of love. And I ask for you to do that in my life, and I ask for anyone in this room who knows that this is them, that they too have made peace with their hatred or at least um, lack of love for someone, that you would just speak over them graciousness and patience that you understand and that you just want to pour mercy on them and that mercy will change them. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.